following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, we all know that this is true. You can just look up on the screen. Uh, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. A prayer is the greater work. Prayer is not preparatory for something else. Uh, prayer's the thing. That's what Oswald Chambers is saying there. And even knowing that, and I think that's a truth that any of us who kind of know anything about what it means to be a follower of Christ would understand that to be true. But even knowing that, most of us struggle to practice the truth of what that says. We struggle to have the kind of prayer life that we know we ought to have, to live it out, to pray as we ought to pray. Is that true for you? You would just say, you know, I could, I could, I could use a better prayer life. Just raise your hand right now. Just go, I could use a better prayer life. I mean, I think we all feel the struggle here. But we have to understand something that's uh, so critical as we work through um, this book of James, this, this uh, no-nonsense guide to the extraordinary Christian life, that the extraordinary Christian life depends upon, ready for this? An extraordinary prayer life. It depends upon it. And yet we all understand that it's so elusive. After all the wisdom we've heard in this letter, as it begins to wind down in these last few verses, James gives us a primer on extraordinary prayer, the importance of prayer. And he caps it off with the example of Elijah, who was an extraordinary Man of prayer. And James includes this primer on prayer because he knows precisely that it's so important and it's so hard to practice. Something we all feel. It's really something, and I suppose that this is the good news. It's, it's the kind of thing that takes an entire lifetime as a Christ follower to figure out. How to be good at prayer. How to really be intimate with the Lord. And so, we don't have to feel like we've arrived. All we have to do today is hear what the scriptures are saying to us right now. And to understand it does take a lifetime to grow into. And so, all the Lord would ask for many of us today is not to be discouraged at one more sermon on prayer. That's going to make me feel awful about the nature of my own prayer life. Did I just call you out? Because I called myself out. All we have to do today is understand what the scriptures say and take one more step in the right direction. Make a little more progress. Understand prayer a little bit better. And to be determined in our hearts to move forward. Make some headway. So let's read the text as it's in front of us today. This is um, James chapter 5 verses 13 through 18. Um, Let me read this and then we'll start working through them. Uh, these verses one by one is any anyone among you suffering let him pray is anyone cheerful let him sing praise is anyone among you sick let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the lord and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins He'll be forgiven. 
Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again. And heaven, and the, and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Well, the point of this message is singular. Just one main thing that we should grasp here, uh, that we ought to pray as the followers of Jesus Christ. We ought to pray in an extraordinary way. Pray in an extraordinary way. And the first way that we're going to accomplish that is to do it constantly. Now, and I find this a bit humorous given uh, that some of us in this room pray hardly at all. And so here's this kind of first part of extraordinary prayer, talking about constant prayer. And really what we ought to be talking about is just pray some, just pray it all. Just, just, just pray for a minute or two a day. Because there are far too many people who are calling themselves Christians, who are followers of Jesus Christ, who are essentially prayerless in their walk with Christ. Now, I wonder why it is that we've become so prayerless. Is it because that we're just far more doers of the word uh, than prayers of the word? We're doers. We're, if you remember the gospel story, we're, we're more Martha than Mary. We've, we've got the serving Jesus thing down. We don't mind giving our time and effort. We don't mind giving our hours. We don't mind giving of our resources to the Lord. We don't mind any of that at all. Uh, but the notion of time and prayer, that's the thing that's so hard for us. Maybe it's sin that's getting in the way and and again, the idea of being constant in prayer, continually praying, that's so far down the road. I, I don't pray at all because I know there's sin in my life. The sin is hindering me from having any kind of prayer life. Or maybe it's just that you feel so self-sufficient. Maybe you feel you've got it all going on for yourself and you're so good at kind of living your life and it's been pretty easy for you and things come your way. And so you have this strong sense of, I really can make it on my own. And so why pray? I'm not really certain what the point of it is. And maybe, maybe you've stopped praying. Maybe the issue for you is that you once prayed, but then you just didn't see God coming through for you in the way that you thought he should. And so deep inside of you, the reason why you don't pray anymore is because you're disappointed with God. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's kept you from it. But here it is. Not just do it, but do it constantly. And that is to say, do it in every circumstance. Do it throughout your day. Do it continually and constantly. Do it no matter how you feel. Do it when you're sad. Do it when you're joyful. Do it when you're angry. Pray when you're absolutely at the end of your rope and worn out. Bring every part of your day, everything that's on your heart, bring it all to the Lord. Now check this out. James gives us a sampling in the first verse and a half. Really gives us three examples. Are any of you suffering? Are any of you cheerful? Is any among you sick? 
suffering more generic for you're going through some kind of hard time. We don't know what it is, but, but you're in deep. You have some kind of trial. And the reality is we live in a sin sick world. And all of us at some point in probably every given week are going to face something difficult that we have to face. And there's certainly degrees of suffering. But I mean, if you're in tough in anything, okay, bring that to the Lord. If, if any of you are suffering, if you're cheerful, I mean, you got it all going on and life is great. And there's a lot of joy and happiness right now. And a lot of blessing flowing to you. I don't, don't, don't treat that with contempt, but in times like that, or if you're sick, there's just some physical thing that's got you down. No matter what it is, this is kind of like a little sampling list that James is giving here. Here's three possible examples, not exhaustive. There could be three more or or six more or nine more examples that he could have given here of times to pray. And really the whole thing he's saying is, I just pray all the time. Bring it all to the Lord. He says, if you're suffering, pray. If you're joyful, sing praise. That's, that's prayer worship. Worship is really a form of prayer. If you're sick, call for the elders. If, if you're sick and so desperate that you don't even feel like you have any prayers left, then get someone else to pray for you. And we're going to unpack that a little bit. In other words, again, I just keep driving the point here. Pray constantly. Now, since it is Father's Day, I think it would be appropriate for me to say something to the dads here. That really, uh, dads, understand that you stand as a priest to your family. And it's not that your wife can't or shouldn't pray as well. It's not that your kids can't go before the, the, the Lord themselves. We know that Jesus Christ is the great high priest and all of us as individuals have access to the throne of grace. We don't need a priest But at the same time, God has given fathers a unique spiritual role in the home. And that spiritual role includes a deep passion to pray for those that are in that household, that there would be blessing, that there would be protection, that there would be wisdom. And dads, are you praying for your family? Are you praying with your children? Are you praying for your children? Your relationship with Christ? Are you, are you praying for your own spiritual well-being that you would have the strength and wisdom to be able to lead your family well? And all of that, where you're at with the Lord, so critical to the spiritual well-being of your home. So whoever you are, Whether you're a dad or not a dad, whether you're a kid or a parent or not a parent or a single adult or whoever you are, or whatever life situation you're in, the injunction comes to us here. If we're going to pray an extraordinary prayer, if we're going to be extraordinary people in praying, then we're going to be praying constantly in all situations. And also this, uh, secondly, dependently. Check this out in the latter part of verse 14. The one with the illness is told... um, He expands this one uh, to call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. And when you're in need of prayer, the encouragement here is to reach out to the God ordained leaders of the church, the elders. 
And this is one of the ways that God binds us together as a family, as one body in Christ, is that we actually share um, our needs with one another. That I make myself vulnerable enough to say to someone else, I'm feeling pretty weak right now. I'm in a, a difficult place. And would you pray for me? God binds us together as a family by need, sharing our struggles with one another. I love Galatians 6, 2, where the Apostle Paul says simply this, um, bear one another's burdens, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You want to fulfill the law of Christ? Do you want to fulfill the law of Christ? Just nod your heads. Yeah. You want to fulfill the law of Christ? Bear each other's burdens. Not just carrying your burden around on your own and no one else knows about it and I'm all weighed down by it. Do you know that to, to just kind of hold your own trial to yourself and to keep your own weaknesses to yourself? Did you, did you know that that's inherently selfish? That to not let others know the kind of things you're going through... I mean, that's, that's an indication that you're not willing to be authentic and vulnerable with people. You just want to carry it on your own so that no one knows about your thing, but then you're not helping them. You're not helping the church's faith to, to grow. You're, you're not exercising uh, the kind of relationship that God has actually given us in the church. I'm not saying you bring every little thing and that you become kind of the chronic, I always got a problem kind of person, but those heavy burdens... Galatians 6 speaks to this, those heavy burdens that are actually unmanageable weights where they're crushing to who you are. God would have you reach out to the people who are sitting around you right now, the people that are in your small group, so that they could help you carry that. A prayer on its own, don't miss this, A prayer on its own demonstrates dependency on God. That's what we're talking about here. But asking for prayer from others demonstrates dependency on one another. And we are, in the body of Christ, dependent on one another. Now, in our flesh, can I just say, I don't really like either of those. I don't don't like the fact that I'm actually dependent on God. I don't like the fact that I'm supposed to be dependent on other people. We might more readily accept dependency on God because at least he's God. So I could say, okay, yeah, I am dependent on God, but I don't want to be so vulnerable that I say that I'm actually dependent on you. Everything I've ever been taught in school is to not be dependent on other people, but to show myself to be strong enough that I can live my life. I'm independent. I've got the courage. I can make the decisions. I can lead my own family. We might more readily accept dependency on God, but we have to go kicking and screaming into an admission of our need of others. I don't need anyone. So independent. And yet this is exactly how God has wired us up, depending on one another in this family. I mean, every week at the close of our service, we'll sing the last song. I'll invite the elders and some of their wives to come and stand up here at the front. You guys have seen it a hundred times. They come and stand up here at the front. 
And they're there available to pray for the body. Now, I, I know, I've said this to you before, but in the black folders that you just filled out, maybe 100 to 120 requests will come in this week, and those will be prayed over multiple times during this week. 100 to 120s. I, I know the burdens are there. But the elders are standing up live and in person. Oh, sure, I get that they get the list. And maybe of the 120 requests, maybe 110 of them are kind of ongoing. And and yes, they're a burden, but they're not unmanageable. But on any given week, we might have three, four, five, six, maybe as many as 10. That we would look at and we would flag as we're working through that list and just go, that's a heavy burden. In fact, in most of those cases, we're going to send a pastor to make a phone call and just to check in with people or fire off a card or just make uh, alert a small group or somehow to follow up on that. And yet on any given Sunday, maybe only two or three or maybe four people will come up here to the front and actually seek prayer from a live person who in the moment is more than ready to care for you. And the only thing I can imagine that's keeping us from coming up and taking advantage of of these people's desire to actually care for the body is that we're just too independent. We think in some way that we can do it on our own. And that's not what God really has for us. And so when you have that, when that burdens on your heart, take advantage of this. Don't be independent, but show your dependency. Bring it. Notice in the text, if it's an illness, this is what we're talking about, a a sickness in the specific example that James gives here is, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. In this case, it seems to be a sickness that's so desperate that the elders actually have to go to the person. That happens. Uh, It happens here. And it says, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. It says the elders will pray over the person, anointing him with oil. And as we practice it here, uh, let me just show you this, because we practice this in a very literal fashion. And I I, want to show you how uh, this uh, this might work. I'm going to use my son Luke for this. Come on up here, Luke. And... uh, (laughs) You're excited about this right now, right? All right, this is my son, Luke. It's Father's Day, so it's appropriate that I would have you up here. And uh, this is what would happen. Um, The elders would uh, talk to uh, Luke about whatever his sickness is. And uh, we would talk to him a little bit about that, read the passage of Scripture. We would ask him an important question that I'm going to talk about in the next point. And uh, then we would just simply do this. We would just take some oil and just rub that on his forehead like that, and then the elders, at least two of them, because this is spoken in the plural here, the elders would gather around uh, him and uh, would lay hands on him in a physical sense and then pray for the precise healing that he was requesting. Thanks, Luke. And um, sure, go ahead. Thank Luke. He, he did so much. Um, that's, I just wanted to show you exactly what happens because in some cases... Uh, There's just fear attached to it and fear of the unknown of what exactly would happen uh, when the elders would pray. And it's really nothing more than what you've just seen. Uh, The dab of oil in the forehead, um, the oil itself, as as we use it, 
is, um, it's not, the word is efficacious. There's no effectiveness in this. It's just oil. And in fact, what's going on here is really symbolic of the Holy Spirit's work in a person's life. And so, yes, we pray for healing. Yes, the oil is symbolic of what we're asking for. We're pleading, in fact, for this. Because anointing in the Old Testament especially had this, this, um, this meaning behind it of the presence of God being called upon this person. And really, the prayer that the elders are praying is this. God, we're asking for healing, but more than anything else, we're asking for the manifest presence, the very real and special presence of God's Holy Spirit in this person's life. Now, now wouldn't you agree with me that no matter what the person is bringing in terms of, I have this illness, whether it's a physical illness or it's an emotional illness, I'm just gripped by grief and I don't know how to get over it, or, or, or whether it's some kind of mental illness, like I'm, I, I struggle with depression or I'm, I'm, I'm bipolar, or so, and we don't know all the lines between physical and, and, and mental and how all that works together. Science hasn't figured all of that out yet. And so I'm just willing to pray for whatever it is you're bringing. And we bring that, but would you agree with me that all of those requests, no matter what they are, are secondary to the presence of God's Holy Spirit in the person's life. The greater request is always that God would just be with the person. You see, and that's going to help us to understand God's purposes behind it all. There's nothing greater. Would we agree? There's nothing greater than just having the Lord. Just knowing who he is and knowing all the cares are of life as nothing. There is nothing in his presence. I love that song I learned when I was a really young, young believer. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen? Amen. Well, all of that presupposes, of course, that we also pray. Look at this third um, a point, believingly. Notice that verse 15 says that it is the prayer of faith that will save the one who's sick. I love this definition. We've been using it for a long time. Came to us from Harvest Chicago. I think this is going to be helpful for understanding faith. We haven't talked about it for a while. Uh, faith is believing the word of God and acting upon it. No matter how I feel, knowing that God promises a good result. Now we pray believing that no matter what we ask for or how God might answer that prayer, God always, God always has our best interest at heart, correct? God always has our best interest at heart, correct? He always does. No matter how he answers our prayer, he always has our best interest at heart. We may not see it at the time. But you see, that's the very nature of faith. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's hoped for. We don't have it yet, but it's hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. It's not tangible. It's not earthly. It's not temporal in any way. It's, it's still unseen. And so the prayer is really like this. God, I'm praying in faith. I'm trusting 
that good things are going to come my way in your time. I believe that there's a good result coming of this, no matter what I'm asking for. Now, what's curious about this passage is that there's every indication that it's primarily the faith of the elders that's in view. The person is sick. The elders are called. They come to the person and they lay their hands and pray over the person. They're the ones doing the praying. And verse 15 says, the prayer of faith, the prayer that the elders are praying. is the prayer that is effective in this person's life. Sometimes, as I understand it here, when our faith fails, we can count on the faith of others to bring us through. This is, again, why it's so important that we share our hearts with one another. I don't know if you've been in a place so desperate and dark that you really, truly felt like you didn't have the faith to believe the things that God was saying. That you couldn't hold on any longer. That you were so weak and frail that, that reading the Bible, it just seemed so empty and, and prayer seemed like it was hitting the ceiling and, and coming to worship just didn't have the passion attached to it that it once did. You, you feel like you're in, in, in a dark tunnel trying to walk through, but, but you're not seeing anything but the hurt that's going on in your life. You're, you're, dark, you're in darkness and despair and you're completely lonely. I'm sure this room is filled with people who have been in that place. And it's times like that that God gives us one another. And when we're willing to share our struggles with one another, that we pray for one another. And we, we lean hard on the faith of others. I, I'm having a hard time believing this right now. But, but in, in one sense, could you believe for me? Could you pray the prayer that I'm having so hard a time praying? This is why God binds us together as the body of Christ. We're counting on the faith of others in those moments. And then that's going to lift us up. I've, I've been there. There's been times as I've sought to pastor this church, even when it took everything in me to get up here on a Sunday morning and do what I'm doing right now. Which in a sense is easier these days. And where I needed the encouragement of others and I needed the fervent prayers of others. To just sustain me and keep me in the study on Fridays and, and, and get me up here on Sunday morning to deliver the word of God. Because I didn't have the faith to believe that any of this was even possible for me. And I completely accredit the prayers of others and the faith of others for keeping me in this place. We need others when our faith is weak. And notice also from this verse so much here that there's an indication that at times illness can be the result of unconfessed sin. Verse 15, the latter part says, if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. And when the elders anoint with oil, this is what I referred to early, earlier, we always ask if there's any unconfessed sins in the person's life. And so as Luke stood up here and just before we would anoint, we would read the passage and we would say to him, okay, we know you're sick and we know that you're seeking the Lord for healing here, but is it possible in any way that you have a sin issue in your life that is unresolved and unconfessed before the Lord? And could it be possible? This is not always the case. That's why there's an if in this sentence, uh, but but could it be possible that there's some unconfessed sin and that's the reason why you're sick, that God is actually 
disciplining you in this moment? So the elders always ask that question. We want to clear up any divine discipline that might be happening. And we don't want to be asking God for something that runs counter to his purposes in a person's life. Not if we can help it. Forgiveness is always the preferred outcome of any prayer. I've told you before that I believe the best prayer in the entire Bible is this one. Luke 18, 13. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Is there a better prayer than that one? God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because that's the whole thing. It's all about this relationship that we're to have with the Lord. Sin is the only thing that's standing between me and eternity. Not my physical illness, not some emotional challenge I'm having, not even some mental illness that causes me such torment. That's not the thing keeping you out of heaven. And you could spend a whole lifetime struggling with depression, or you could spend a whole lifetime with some physical infirmity. It's not going to keep you out of heaven. But your sin will. The greater need is always forgiveness. Every other request is lower, much lower on the priority list. Temporal needs give way to this eternal need. You remember that great story of Jesus healing the paralytic in in Luke chapter 5. And and this paralyzed guy, he's on a a bed, a, a mat of some kind. And his buddies take him and they open up the roof and they lower him down because they couldn't get through the door because of the crowds. They lower him right down in front of Jesus. And the first thing Jesus does for him, he obviously has a, a very evident physical need. The guy can't walk. But the first thing Jesus says to him is what? Your sins are forgiven you. Because that's the greater need. And that's why Jesus came to this earth. He didn't come to do all the miracles. The miracles were only meant as signposts to point people to the authenticity of the gospel message, which relieves us of our sins. The greater need that this paralytic had was for the forgiveness of his sins and the establishing a relationship with his God. Then he healed his legs. Jesus Christ went to the cross for our healing. For some, he will grant physical healing. For some, he will clear up the emotional and mental anguish that you may be suffering. Isaiah 53, 5 says that by his stripes, we are healed. And the greater healing is the healing of the relationship between us and our father. It came as a result of our sin. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us of all of this. And the prayer of faith is is based entirely on the shed blood of Jesus Christ. His work on the cross that makes all of this possible. We pray always in his name because of what he did. Looking for him to grant the healing. Amen. So we pray believingly. Now none of this comes unless we also pray humbly. Closely related to dependency, prayer indicates our humility uh, seen in how you, verse 16 now, confess your sins to one another. Again, there's something that runs counter to the culture that's inherent in our hearts. There's something foreign about this. It's, It's uncommon because we're actually wired up to protect ourselves, to deny, to project strength, not vulnerability. We're hardwired 
The three words that we use in biblical soul care are authenticity, transparency, and vulnerability. But our problem is that we prefer artificiality to authenticity. We want people to see some projected image of ourselves rather than the authentic self. We prefer privacy over transparency. We we want to keep things hidden in our lives. We prefer guardedness over vulnerability. And yet God would have us open up our lives to one another. And and please understand, if you're new to Harvest, it it isn't like we're going to parade you up to the front in in front of a microphone on a Sunday morning. You tell everybody your thing. But we're pretty big on advocacy relationships. We're really big on small groups. And what we're saying to you is that you need to be authentic, transparent, and vulnerable with someone. Not with everyone, but with someone. You need to be modeling it in your life. And I think when that really happens in our church, here's what's going to be true of us. We'd have something so unique that it will give us what Acts chapter 2 calls a sense of awe in the church. The genuine love for one another that is attractive by, uh, you will know them by their love happening inside of our church community. And there's no doubt that that scares some people away. As they see the divine power, the Holy Spirit moving, some people will be repulsed by it and driven far from this place and others will be drawn to it. They'll want it. They'll want a place where they can be real and where people will love on them no matter the struggles they're facing. It all comes because we set ourselves aside. We set aside our pride and our protectionistic ways and we give ourselves over to God's way. And it happens when we humble ourselves, when we come to the end of ourselves, when we admit that we really are poor in spirit and we have nothing to offer our God. None of us do. No matter how long we've been walking with God, we're still poor in spirit. Apart from God's Holy Spirit. And further, God wants us to pray. We're learning about prayer here, extraordinary a prayer. God wants us to pray expectantly. He wants us to look for an answer. James says in verse 16, he continues and says, and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, I, I see confidence in that prayer. Do you see that? That you may be healed. It's so confidently stated. We're, in other words, we're to pray the big prayer. We're to pray for the thing we want. We're to expect God to answer us. We're to expect great things from our prayers. But I think a couple of things war against us here in praying these kinds of prayers. One is that the tradition of this church and how it kind of has developed is we're all kind of just very... Which is very nice. And so in some ways, there's a bit of, if I could talk just in terms of the scope of the evangelical Bible-believing type churches, if you go to, say, a Baptist church, the prayers tend to be a little bit more clinical, a little bit more polite, a little bit more, I'll just use this word, orderly. Everything's done properly, and we tend to be a little more cautious about about the way the prayers are prayed. And there's no doubt there's a Baptistic, small b Baptistic influence on the kind of church that we are. 
Uh, Some of you have come out of charismatic churches and you might find our prayer meetings to be kind of boring because in your churches, you're like reaching up into the heavens to seize God by the shirt and tell him exactly what you want. You've been in those prayer meetings. Anybody been in those prayer meetings, right? And there's a little bit of that influence here, but in some respects, not nearly enough. I don't mean that disrespectfully in any way, but there's a, a calling down of the power of God in prayer that I appreciate. And so that kind of wars against us a little bit. And the other thing that wars against us is that we're, we're Canadians. And everybody in the world knows us for being the people who apologize for everything. And uh, last night with my family, we were watching this show called Border Security. Anybody ever watch this show? It's kind of fun, right? Um, it's really different than the American one where they're like, you know, they're taking down whole truckloads of drugs and, and, uh, and, and whole boatloads of immigrants. And we're like one guy that just wants to come in and work in the country for three months. And like, we're sending that guy back to Spain and, you know, so like, it's, it's not really intense in any way, but this is Canada after all, but this guy's coming through and, and, and at the end of the day, after this long uh, kind of questioning of him and everything, and, and they don't find anything, uh, they were, I think they were looking for guns in his trailer, and he was going from the mainland states up to Alaska, so he had to go through British Columbia, and he had ammunition, he had fast loaders, he had all kinds of indications that he probably had guns, but they never found any weapon, and as the guy's going away, these are our border guards. They have a gun on their belt and they have a, they, they have an armored vest on and they're in uniform and they're guarding our borders and they apologize to the guy. <laughs> we rewound it because I said, did he just apologize to him? We rewound it to hear it. I'm going, don't apologize for guarding our borders. Correct. We don't expect them to apologize. Question whomever you want about coming into our country. I'm pretty okay with that, but we are after all Canadians. And we pray too much like Canadians. Honestly, we do. God expects us to be citizens of his kingdom. And he's given us resident inside of us, his own Holy Spirit. And we ought to have some boldness and praying expectantly. Expect increased intimacy. Expect great things from our prayers. Expect the will of God to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Expect that all your needs will be met. Expect your heart to be changed. You pray. God answers. Mark it down every time. You pray. God answers every time. Listen, not answering the way you want every time. But hearing you and answering you every time. Pray expectantly. And that depends, of course, on us praying also. Notice this also in verse 16. uh, Praying effectively. Verse 16, the last verse, last part of the verse says, the prayer of the righteous person. Probably should underline righteous person. Uh, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. I'm actually pretty fond of the King James Version here. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Don't you love that? Is that not better? The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, the effectiveness in my prayers is dependent on holiness in my walk. 
If there's sin and disobedience in your life, if you're in rebellion in any way, then the only prayer God wants to hear from you is one of repentance. You need to rewind it all the way to the beginning, and you need to say, have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. Pray that prayer first. Get it settled with the Lord. Cleanse your heart. Get yourself in a good place and then bring your request to him. Pray effectively. God's looking for holy people to come before him. God inclines his ear towards those who are truly walking with him, living for him. So bring those prayers to him. Then finally, he says this. Pray passionately and persistently. This is how you turn a nine-point message into an eight-point message. You put two in the last one. See that? Pretty smart, right? I put both together here because they flow together. They're distinct, but, but yet they're related. And when I pray, is it passionate? Is it, is it energized? Is it earnest? Is it, is it persistent? Is it ongoing? Is it unrelenting? God, you haven't given me this thing yet, and you haven't shown me that it's not your will, and so I'm going to keep praying it. Those weekly prayer requests that we get, uh, I often see the same request week after week after week after week after week after. I've been at this 13 years. This is going to go on a long time. Some of you have been praying for the same thing. You have a loved one who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Your heart is so burdened for them. I mean, if God didn't answer the prayer yet last week, and you know that God desires that all men would be saved. And if the prayer hasn't been answered yet, then don't don't relent. Don't, Don't stop praying for that. If it's God's will, if it's God's heart that your loved one should be saved, then keep praying that prayer. Keep bringing that prayer. If that's a crushing burden to you, then then come up here and ask the elders to pray for that. Seek the prayer of your small group. But for goodness sake, don't stop. Pray passionately. Pray uh, persistently. Uh, Don't give up on this. Look at verses 17 and 18. We have the example here of Elijah. He was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah was like you. You're you're like Elijah. That is to say that though he was a prophet of God, he was a sinner like you are, like I am. He struggled with things. In fact, there's some indication that that he even dealt with after one of his greatest victories. He, He went down and sulked and cried and felt defeated and was completely destroyed. In his purse and crust, like suffering what looks like some kind of depression. A man like us. It's a man like us. Weak, subject to temptation, lacking of faith, easily discouraged. Yet notice what it says. He prayed fervently. We're quite timid in our prayers, almost like we're protecting ourselves by not asking for too much. Like the child who stops asking for anything so they can avoid the disappointment of not receiving it because the parent never delivers. But you see, the difference is we pray to a father who always delivers. One who cannot be compared to any earthly father, no matter how great he may be. Bring him your requests. He wants to hear them. Pray passionately. 
about those requests. Don't give up. Pray persistently concerning these things. And all of that in eight or nine points describes what it means to pray in an extraordinary way. And here's how we're going to close our time off here this morning. We want to have a time of prayer. And I'd like us as a church family to pray for one another. The elders and their wives are going to come up and stand here at the front right now. Just as they would at the end of a service, but rather than at the end, we're going to do it right now. They'd like to pray over you as the scriptures have described to us here today. And if you need prayer for any kind of healing today, maybe it is something physical that's going on in your life that is a burden to you. Maybe it's some emotional healing. Maybe it's a mental illness that you have, that you're struggling with. These elders are prepared to take oil and to anoint you with this oil in the name of the Lord and to pray a prayer of faith over you this morning. Now, I don't want you to hesitate, but when we start singing this final song, I'm really going to invite you to come and to get with one of these elders and to have them pray for you. And if there's more people than come, then we have elders and just wait, just be patient. They'll pray for that person and don't, don't use any excuse this morning for not taking advantage of this time. And there's two other ways I'm going to ask you to respond today. Maybe you don't have a burden that you want to bring up here to the front. You could certainly stay where you are and pray. Pray for those who are coming up. Maybe you'll see somebody from your small group going up. Someone else that you know from a serving team that you're on. And you could certainly stay where you are and pray along with the elders as they pray for that person. But I also want to raise, and you know this story already, most of you, but Luke Ninkovic, this a little baby boy, just over a year old, and right now most of us know the story of what's going on. Can I just grab my iPhone here? For those of you who are feeling like um, you don't have something else to bring, maybe you could gather over here on my right in your left in this corner and you could just lift your voices together for this family. I'm going to try to read this text to you from Alex, Luke's dad. It's Father Day. Okay, I'm going to... This little boy needs, this is the specific prayer request. He had the bone marrow transplant. His T cells, which fight infection, are not strong enough yet. They're not mature enough. It takes several weeks for that to happen. He has a virus called, I think I'm saying this right, the adenovirus, which is affecting his lungs. And so he has a lot of fluid on his lungs. He has pneumonia. It's just a breathing issue. It is serious enough that it could take his life. His T cells need to mature. There's a singular prayer request this morning. And that is that his T cells would strengthen and mature before they normally would. That that would be the miracle of God. Can we pray for that? Boldly, persistently, call out to God for it. You can gather over in that corner to pray for this. Alex writes this. Good morning, Todd. We are so grateful for all the prayers for Luke. We truly believe with all our hearts that Luke has been strengthened by a community of people that are uncommon and praying endlessly. Words from my side cannot say enough how incredibly grateful we are that people are reaching 
crying out and trusting in God that he will heal Luke. We love our God. We love our church family and love what God is doing through this situation. Only God can make this situation beautiful. And from what I'm hearing, he is. We are remaining steadfast in this journey and the prayers are helping us. Please tell the church we miss them. We miss you guys and and love all of you. Can't wait to see everyone. God bless Alex. gather on this side to pray earnest prayers, bold prayers for Alex and Amy, for Hannah and for little Luke. And then over on this side, something I haven't pointed out for a while, but there's this table and many of you are probably new enough that you don't even know what that's about. And there's four books over there. But uh, some time ago, we started writing names of loved ones who don't know the Lord in those books. There's hundreds and hundreds of names of people that are related to you who don't know Christ. They need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and respond to it. And some of you, if you're not bringing your own burdens and you're not going over there to pray for Luke, maybe you would make your way over to these tables and you would pray through some names that you find there and call on God to do the ultimate healing, that of the forgiveness of sins. This is the way the service is going to close. The worship team's going to come up. They're going to sing through this song. You respond. Stay where you are, pray, worship, come up to the front, come over here, go over there. I'm not going to say anything else. I want you to know you are loved by God and by this church family. This is going to be a place of prayer. And when you're done, when you've had your time with the Lord, I'm going to ask you to leave the room quietly and head off into your week. This is how the service closes with us before the Lord in prayer. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We pray that today's message was encouraging and challenging. For more info about Harvest Bible Chapel, check us out online at harvestberry.ca. Thanks again, and remember, you are loved.